A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm John McEnroe, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Hi, my name is Grigor Dimitrov, and you're listening to Tennis Podcast. Hi, I'm Mats Villander, and you are listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you once again from the Putney Exchange Shopping Centre in South West London, BB Coffee and Muffins. If, uh, if anyone from the marketing department there is listening, you're very welcome to sponsor us. And I'm, of course, joined by David Law. Hello. Um, just before we go any further, what, what are you doing plugging a business that hasn't actually paid us anything yet? Let, let's, let's get the money first, then do the plugs. But anyway, BB's Muffins, whatever your name is, uh, there you go. You're a, you're a part of the tennis podcast already. You didn't know it, but you are. Catherine, we've got uh, plenty to talk about today because we come to you the morning after a pretty staggeringly exciting Indian Wells final. On both sides, actually. Uh, the women's final was a bit all over the shop. The men's final was, uh, was up, up and down as well, but probably the quality of a higher level sustained throughout the, the match. But uh, before we get into any of that... Should we hear from Rafa Nadal? Hello, this is Rafa. I am coming back to to Queens Club for for the tournament this this year. You know, I'm I'm very happy to to be back there. It's a tournament that I played so many times in the in the past. I always had a, an amazing feeling to play in a in a real in a real club with an unbelievable atmosphere. That center court is just amazing, and the people have been always very, very nice with me, so I'm, I'm very excited to, to be back for 2015. Just I'm very looking forward to, to play there again, and I hope to see you there. Big hug, everybody. So that was uh, Rafael Nadal breaking the news that he is to return to the Aegon Championships at the Queen's Club for the first time since 2011. So he's been away for three years. Now, Catherine, as you know, as I know, as everybody knows, we work at the tournament. I'm the media director at the tournament, so we're very, very excited. But I think everybody else will be pretty excited about that news as well, won't they? Because he he is a huge drawcard wherever he goes. And, I mean, I, I think he has a special relationship with every crowd he plays in front of. But at Queen's, we've, we've witnessed it firsthand, close up. It, it, it's, it's unbelievably intense, that that connection that he has with the fans there. I remember when he first arrived and played there after he'd won his first French Open. And the, the excitement, the magnetism, the electricity he generates, I think is probably more extreme than any other player I've seen up close. 
I agree. The the magnetism and the relationship he has with the crowd at Queen's is, is probably the best I've seen. And certainly one of the, the best feelings I've ever had working in tennis is the the several times that that we've welcomed Rafa to Queen's coming off the back of having won the French Open, often the day after having won the French Open, seeing him arrive and the uh, the reaction he gets, it causes, when you hear that the car is about to arrive, ripples go around the Queen's Club, don't they? Now, we don't know if he's going to be arriving at the Queen's Club as a Roland Garros champion. I'm not going to ask you to, uh, to make that prediction just yet. In fact, we're not going to talk about predictions at all on this tennis podcast. I'm quite podcast, happy to make that prediction, if you like, because, you know, I'm on fire with my predictions. We'll get to that in a moment or two. Uh, but ju- just on, on the subject of Rafa as well, you mentioned uh, his, his r- arrivals over the years. And, of course, in the past... It has always been the case that Queens has backed straight on to the French Open, meaning that he would win the French Open on a Sunday, do his press conferences, go and have a Chinese takeaway or whatever he has for his dinner after winning the French Open. <laughs> Some tapas. Imagine if he had a Chinese takeaway. And then he, went, and then he goes off to, uh, to the Eurostar, gets over the very next day on the Monday... And he arrives. And I, I even remember the one year, and we will hear the exact story out of the mouth of our groundsman at Queen's Club over the next uh, few weeks on the tennis podcast, because we've got a special uh, edition with Graham Kimpton, who's looked after the, the courts there for, for many, many years. He, he tells the story, and, and I remember it vividly, how one year Rafa arrived, and it was raining. It was pouring with rain when Rafa arrived in late afternoon on the Monday, just straight after winning the French Open the night before. And... And he goes into the locker room, gets changed, goes rushing out to the courts, and Graham Kimpton's chasing after him, saying, what are you doing? It's raining. And he, he says, uh, I need to practice. He says, yeah, but it's raining. Uh, he says, can I just practice for a bit? So Graham has to hastily erect a new knit for him to practice with because he's absolutely insistent that he was going to play and so he did so he's a special guy in that way uh, that won't be the case of course this year because there is an additional week between the French Open and Queen's uh, meaning Wimbledon moves back a week so makes it that much easier for whoever does win the French Open to, to recover uh, or whoever's in the final and even on the final weekend to recover ready for the grass court season and Rafael Nadal will be part of it at the Queen's Club it's going to make an enormous difference, I think, that extra week. Giving the grass court season the breathing space it deserves, I really think that's going to make have a big impact on tennis and the quality of uh, quality of grass court tennis we see in those pre-Wimbledon tournaments. Um, probably the match of the uh, men's event at Indian Wells to me was Rafa against Raonic. I don't know if you agree. Um, Rafa was in the driving seat in that match and uh, it w- was the result of that down to Raonic or down to Rafa, do you think? I think a bit of both, but I would personally give the benefit of the doubt there to Raonic. Uh, I, I was really impressed with the way he just stuck with it. I mean, I think any time Rafa Nadal has three match points, you've got to say that's a disappointing result for him not to win it because I can't remember too many times when he's had a situation like that if ever Um, but then I also think at that point you have to say well look at the guy on the other side of the net how tough is it to face this guy um, and not lose and not lose your serve and not lose your focus and not lose your nerve And, and he has a serve that must be the envy of everybody in the locker room. And it's getting better. 
his serve in Indian Wells was just ridiculous. He was just hitting the marks whenever he felt like it, and he was going flat out pretty much with it. 148 miles an hour, one of them I saw. And he was also living with with Nadal from the baseline at times. And, you know, the, don't forget, he'd never beaten him before. And I think that that is a, a significant mental block overcome there. And what I like about Raonic is that he's not... He's not sort of an electrifying player the way some, some are. He doesn't, he's not the man that everybody's talking about. They've talked about, and including us, Dimitrov and, and, and now Kyrgios and players like that. So he doesn't get the publicity. But hold on, he's higher ranked than any, any of those and any of them have ever been so far. And he just keeps, bit by bit, building on his career to date, getting better. He's reached a Grand Slam semi-final, and he's reached the ATP World Tour finals, and he learns when he doesn't win against the top players. I mean, I saw him take an absolute pasting against Djokovic at the US Open. It doesn't seem to phase him. He just comes back. He's like a computer that just keeps adding software and memory and remembering and learning. And, and I, I, I'm impressed, actually, and I actually really enjoyed watching him against Nadal. You're right. He should be talked about more than Dimitrov. You're absolutely right. It's uh, we've talked a lot about for those guys. Once once you've broken into the top ten, the increments become tiny, but more difficult to overcome, don't they? He's he's just taking it one increment at a time. And I think you're right that that win over Rafa is one big step for him. It's just one match, but I think mentally it's one big step for him. And he, he's just doing one thing at a time. But the progress is always in the right direction just at the moment. Whereas with someone like Dimitrov, it's a lot more up and down. Here we are, we're talking about Dimitrov again. We just can't help ourselves, can we, David? Well, it's a, it's a labour of love, isn't it? But let's be honest, he, he's going through a bit of a rough time. I mean, he had the, the win over Kyrgios that we talked about last week, but then he he got beaten 7-5 in the third by Tommy Robredo. It wasn't a good result. Um, you know, I think he is the type of player who's going to have ups and downs, certainly at this stage in his career, until, until he starts winning consistently. I think that then it'll... it'll reproduce itself as a result of that I think it's it is a learning process but Raonic is made differently and I remember when Dimitrov beat Raonic at the Australian Open what was it a year just a year and a half ago that that was a definite marker that Raonic had stalled just a little bit and Dimitrov had made a spurt but no I think you've got to give the the guy from Canada all the credit for what he did uh, there and he, he actually gave Federer a decent match for a while too um, but still you've got to look at those top couple of players Federer and, and Djokovic and say that on anything else other than clay they are the men to beat I mean Murray got to, to the, the Australian Open final and I do, I do actually think I, I remember putting this out on Twitter a couple of days ago what on earth happened to Federer at the Australian Open given that he was brilliant before it. He, he, he uh, reached the final of the, the tournament of the O2. He won the Davis Cup. He won Brisbane. After the Australian Open, he won Dubai. He reached the final of Indian Wells. What happened in the Australian Open when he was a set down to Simone Bellelli and he lost to Andrea Seppi? What happened? So you consider it more than just a blip 
against Andre Seppi. You think generally at the Australian Open he was below par, as evidenced by not not performing particularly well against Simone Bellelli in the previous round either. Yeah, I do. I, I think he was. Uh, I think, and it seemed to come about fairly suddenly. But he was, even if he'd have beaten Seppi, he wasn't lasting long at that Australian Open. He wasn't the same player that he had been and he has been since. I'd put it down to fatigue above all else. I think he'd played too much. Um, I think the Davis Cup had taken it out of him. I think he'd travelled to the IPTL. He'd not had the sort of break that that he's become accustomed to. Um, And I think at the age of 33, turns 34 in August, I think he needs that now. I think he's having it in Miami. He's having a break and he needs it. People on Twitter agree with you, David. Um, the, the, the general consensus seems to be fatigue, um, especially given that he's obviously obviously struggles more over five sets now than over three sets. I put it out on Twitter through the Tennis Podcast Twitter this week. Is Roger Federer the best three-set player in the world? Now, that theory has perhaps been um, diminished a little by what happened last night. However... His three-set record against Djokovic over since the beginning of the 2014 season, he still leads the three-set head-to-head 4-2. So I do think there's still a strong argument in favour of Federer there. However, the uh, the argument for Djokovic has been boosted somewhat in the last 24 hours. Um, but yeah, going back to Federer, I think the consensus does seem to be schedule. Now, lots of people talking about the ITPL, but the fact is that he didn't play that much at the ITPL, did he? He was very careful to manage his commitment there as much as he could. Do you think it was more so the Davis Cup and where the Davis Cup fell in his season last year? I think it was. I mean, I think that that was a very emotional, uh, draining experience. Exhilarating, but draining. And don't forget, he also had a, a bit of a back problem, was it? But I think it was a back problem. Uh, as well, which he only just came over. Then he won the Davis Cup. Fantastic experience, and and, I, and I'm sure he doesn't wouldn't change a thing. Um, and yes, he 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 plays sparingly in the in in the international tennis Premier League. But the the thing the thing is, it's still another trip, isn't it? It's not the same as lying on a beach and recharging your batteries, which I'm sure he did after that. But then you have a period of needing to get ready, and he plays. Brisbane and all that kind of thing. Must be so difficult for him flying around the world in a private jet, staying at five-star hotel. I mean, these trips he has to keep on taking must really take out of him. You're being unfair because the the fact of the matter is you're talking about the most minuscule percentage differences between players here. And I know you're saying this tongue-in-cheek, but the, the, the fact of the matter is, I mean, that you're right, it's a fantastic lifestyle he has but especially when you're 33 this is my theory when you're 33 which for a tennis player is old I was trying to look up the other day whether how many players were even active great champions of the past when they were 33 Sampras was retired at 30 Borg okay he made a comeback but he was retired effectively at 26 McEnroe was just about retiring at the age of 33 34 having dipped considerably Absolutely. Uh, the, the only ones really in the last 30 to 40 years that I can think of that were still doing it at this sort of age, at, at a level that they remembered doing it at when they were at their very peaks, are Agassi and Connors. You know, there's not many. And, uh, and I just think that Federer, in order to 
And let's not forget, he's having to compete against Djokovic, who is absolutely at his, in his prime at the moment. And he is just the most extraordinary physical specimen. You couldn't design a player with a better build than Novak Djokovic, really. And to, to compete with guys like that, I think is is extraordinary in itself and it just shows how much they need to be on top of their rest and recuperation and and just self-preservation. Now, you mentioned Djokovic there. We have to talk about him, don't you? Do you think his DNA at some stage was mixed with some elastic or something? Because he doesn't seem to be made of the same fibres that you and I are made of, David. I mean, what what is the composition? He's certainly not made of the same fibres as you and I, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I mean, it, his, his physicality is extraordinary, isn't it? It's absolutely extraordinary. And, and one of those great camera angles they now have on the, uh, on the tennis coverage, and I was watching it on Sky last night. I saw, I saw the first couple of sets on Sky. They have that great moment where they can stop a point with with the contact point on the racket of the ball and then do that 3D 360 right around the player. It's good that, isn't it? And and, and showing the the angles that he's standing at from every from every position and, and he is utterly face on to the court when he's hitting that two handed back and he's his legs are sort of spread eagle out wide, you know. And it does it's not what people used to get taught in terms of how to hit a tennis ball. Mark Petchy actually said in commentary last night, he said he, he's changed tennis. He's, he has rewritten the rules of movement on a tennis court, and he really has. I mean, who would have thought there would be a player in the world ever that would move better than Rafael Nadal? And, and arguably, Djokovic does that now. He, he, as, as well as Nadal moves, and he's still an extraordinary mover himself. But and, and the, the other thing that strikes me, and I'm sure movement is a big part of this, but you watch where the ball lands off the racket of Novak Djokovic, how many times it is within a foot of the baseline. I can't think of a tennis player in my tennis watching life that has ever had that consistency of being able to just drop the ball deep and flat and powerfully in the corners, on the lines, you know, within an inch of the line, no matter where he's put in on the court, no matter how far he's stretched, he still drops the ball there. And Federer, I remember Federer's actually beaten him a couple of times, even when he's faced that, but he's had to, he's had to basically put his sorceress hat on in order to do it. He's had to go into goat mode, hasn't he, to beat Novak Djokovic at his best. And, it, and the moments when he was on top of Djokovic last night, he, he was having to go into goat mode, wasn't he? But by goat, everybody, I mean greatest of all time. But David is shaking his head at me as if we're not allowed to use that expression here. Oh, no, you can use it. I just have this image of the little furry animal on the hilltop. But there we are, I get a bit confused. But I, I just think that, I still think, uh, and it's probably the, the romantic in me as well, that Federer, his best tennis is the best tennis, just probably because I enjoy watching it so much because of its, the artistic impression element of it as well. Um, it, it's, you know, I remember, I think it was Miles McLagan just sort of raising an eyebrow at me saying this uh, a year ago as if to say, well, hold on, Djokovic's best tennis is extraordinary. Why don't, why don't you give that more credit? And I, and I think he's probably right. I think it's more a question of... I think it's more a question of artistic impression because of the single-handed backhand and the spins and the approach to the game. I think Djokovic is equally spectacularly brilliant, just in a different way. Um, 
but I'll still go with it. Federer's best tennis for me is the best tennis, but it doesn't last that long. It can't last that long, especially not at 33. And it certainly struggles to last three out of five sets. I love this idea of sort of merging tennis with figure skating. You'd have judges sat by the side of the court uh, with the cards and you could have a technical score and an artistic impression. I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah, I mean, triple Salcos and triple Lutzes. And yeah, you see, I've watched my my ice skating over the years and Catherine is a former ice skater. So uh, her technical merit and all that is, is, is very high. This is what I've been waiting for all this time, the, uh, the hybrid sport of tennis and ice skating. This is where I can... So maybe I'd make some correct predictions in that sport. But anyway, enough of predictions. One, pers- one other person I wanted to just quickly mention off the back of Indian Wells on the men's side was Thomas Burditch, because he was absolutely dismantled by Roger Federer, wasn't he? I mean, Federer in classic Federer style. Probably my favourite quote from the whole fortnight on the court after the match. He was asked sort of the standard generic question that you're asked by the interviewer on the court, you know, how was that? To which any other player would give sort of platitudes of, you know, Thomas played a great match, you know, it was really tough for me today, but I produced my best tennis when it mattered. No, Roger Federer said, I was really surprised at how easy that was. (laughs) Which I think... Everyone was a bit surprised at how easy that was. Thomas Burditch has got a new fitness trainer this year. He looks in fantastic shape. He's got a new coach, Danny Valverdu, and all the experts. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. He's hotline to Ivan Lendl, many, uh, many people think, and yet he's still being absolutely taken apart by the world number two, Roger Federer. 
should he be worried and should Burditch fans be worried? I don't think that match in isolation he should be worried about simply because I think everybody has a bad day and also let's not forget who you're playing and and how well Federer was playing so I wouldn't worry about it overly in in that regard um, I, I should also add I, I think I don't think Federer was being disrespectful in what he said I also don't think he was being um, people like to say oh he's arrogant and all this sort of stuff no no he's just honest <laughs> his view was yeah well I expected it to be really close and it actually wasn't I, I couldn't agree with you more it's actually almost more well not almost it is more respectful to say that I think to say look Thomas is a brilliant player and I was expecting more brilliance from him today than what I saw. I think that's actually a very respectful comment to make. It's just Federer has this way of saying things, doesn't he? That just, you know, he, other people wouldn't say that and yet he can and uh, he gets away with it. Yeah, and I mean, other people haven't won 17 slams and been around for 18 years. He can do different things because of what he's done and because of also everybody knows, I think, in the locker room what sort of guy we're dealing with here, that he's a good guy and that he's not He's not being disrespectful in any way. Anyway, I mean, regarding Burditch, I think the, the bigger issue, and I think it's one that probably Andy Murray faces a little bit to some degree with Novak Djokovic just at the moment, is at some point, at some point, you need to put a mark on these people. You need to ruffle them and make them think, hold on, this guy's got something different. I'm, I'm not sure about whether I'm going to win this. Not, and, I, and although I'm sure... The top players would never say this, but I think Djokovic now believes that if he can play his best tennis and if he can keep Murray out there long enough, that he'll outlast him. I think that most of the top, well, certainly Federer and Djokovic believe that if they play their best stuff against Burdich, they'll win, and that they're in his head a little bit. It's like it's like the boxer is getting outpointed, comprehensively outpointed, and at some point he needs to land something and make the other guy blink and the other guy worry. Did he not do that at the Australian Open, beating Nadal for the first time? In I, I thought he had at the time, um, but I think the difference is that I don't think that was the real Nadal. Um, I, I don't think I think Nadal is just starting now to get back to the player that we that we remember and that we know. I don't think he was in the Australian Open, no matter how much I tried to argue his ability to win the title. You know, he, he wasn't himself. And, and I don't want to take anything away from Burdich because he played well. He played really well in that match and he deserved to win. And he wasn't too far away against Murray. I, I think he... I think, the, like I say, I think... The, I don't know how much of it is in his game because I don't know enough about the technicalities of tennis. I watch the same as everybody else listening to this watches. Um, my sense is that he's a brilliant player, Burdich, and, the, and there's just that little missing element in his brain at the moment that is struggling to get him over the line against these guys. Maybe he's just not as good as them. Maybe they're just better tennis players. But... It's so. It's, the margins are so fine, and the fact that he's beaten them all before at one time or another, he's beaten a lot. It means he can do it, and I just think that. I wonder whether there's a way. I wonder if there's somebody. Maybe it's Danny Valverde in the long run, and I, I'd love to have known what would happen if Lendl had hooked up with him full time. Could he have made the difference? Could he have got him to that position where 
where he goes in and he just says, well, I'm going to just take you apart, mate. Now, there's a challenge for you, Ivan Lendl. I know you don't want to travel 30 weeks a year, however much it is, but David Law has laid down the gauntlet for you. Can you make Thomas Burdick into a champion? Um, and just before we move on to discuss what was a sensational women's tournament and a sensational, if very unpredictable, women's final, Rafa and Miami, do you th- he's got final points to defend in Miami. Do you think all Rafa can think about is getting onto the clay and he's just itching to get onto that clay any which way and uh, Miami's just something to get through en route to those European clay courts or do you think he can mount a serious challenge in Miami? I think he can definitely mount a serious challenge. I think the conditions suit him. Um, You know, I think most tennis courts suit him unless they're lightning quick and certainly it is quicker in Miami than it was in New Wales but he's looking more like the Nadal we know he, he looks fully fit to me now and and he's, his confidence is growing uh, there were a few moments where he was a little unsure and he did lose that match against Ranic but it's, it is tough against a guy with a serve like that um, but I think he's relishing just being back now. I think, yes, he is looking forward to the clay, but I think these are all stepping stones to it. I don't think he's looking at it as anything other... I mean, listen, I'm assuming he's playing. I mean, he's in the draw, and, and there's been no suggestion that he's not going to play, and, um, and I hope he does. And I, th- I think he, he can be perfectly competitive, um, and I just think we're going to see Rafael Nadal absolutely back to his best very soon including on the clay and the big question mark then is can Djokovic take him out at the French Open I mean it's still a while away it's a couple of months away but and and also the other one is and particularly given the knowledge of, of our announcement earlier on about Nadal playing Queens again uh, the Aegon Championships, Championships ahead of Wimbledon is can he mount a challenge at those tournaments again because Nadal's reason for playing this tournament at Queen's he likes the place we know that but look at the results he's played it five times each one of those times he's played at the Aegon Championships at Queen's he has reached the final of Wimbledon every single time he's played Haller three times and he hasn't been beyond the fourth round of Wimbledon those years you know there's a clear distinction and and so but the last three years he's gone uh, I think first round second or second round first round fourth round you know having reached the final of Wimbledon five times and I think he's he's desperate to change that and and to have winning memories on grass again so there's so much to look forward to oh Catherine can't wait it's already the question on everyone's lips isn't it that can Djokovic surmount Nadal at the French Open it's all—it's already what everyone's talking about, it's already one of the big storylines in tennis and we're not even onto the European clay courts yet um, I think just before I keep saying just before we move on to talk about the women's um, but you mentioned the speed of courts there and I think just as a footnote to our discussion about whether Federer or Djokovic is the best player over three sets I think you can't move on from that discussion without saying I think it basically depends on the speed of the court to a large extent. There was a fantastic stat during last night's final in India Wells that the courts in India Wells were 40% slower than those in Dubai, where Federer, of course, beat Djokovic in the final uh, less than a month ago. That's a huge differential, isn't it, in court speed? And uh, everybody knows, without doubt, that Federer prefers a quicker, 
hard court, loves the indoor hard courts because of the speed and the conditions. Um, so basically, I think that uh, I'm, it's, it's just a means for me to sit on the fence a little bit, I suppose, adding in this caveat. But I think court speed is a huge factor in that head-to-head. I think it is a factor, certainly. Um, and that was an eye-popping statistic, wasn't it, about the difference in court speed when they showed that graphic and how much higher the ball bounces in Indian Wells in comparison to Dubai. But it's, it's, it's a wonderful matchup. I think it's my favourite of all the matchups, Djokovic against uh, Federer, because of, of the cleanliness of the ball striking between the two and the, the fact that there isn't one way to beat the other. They, they, it's not like whereas Nadal just zones in that cross-court forehand onto the backhand of Federer high up, which always feels like the undoing of Federer. Uh, Djokovic can't do that. He has to find other ways. And, and so I love the matchup. I think the bigger issue is... And Federer showed he could last with, with Djokovic at Wimbledon. But on the whole, I kind of feel he's got to, he's got to win relatively quickly or he is not going to win against Djokovic these days. I know he's won more of their recent matches. Um, there have been successes for him. But when it really, really, really matters, I, I'd back Djokovic these days. Well, as I say, four t- since the start of 2014, Federer leads their head-to-head 4-2, but all but one of those Federer wins has been in straight sets. So the stats back you up there, David. I have to hand it to you. Now, Can we talk about predictions there? <laughs> no, absolutely not. No, I'm going to put that off for as long as possible. Uh, now then, the women's tournament. Lots to talk about as well. Let's go in reverse order let's start with the final because we both predicted a straight sets Halep victory and uh, yes it was a Halep victory but it was far from straightforward what on earth was going on in that final David? I think there's a major uh, mental battle that Simona Halep is going through and we we know that Yelena Jankovic is going through it because we we saw the conversation she had with her coach on the court I mean it was such an insight into what into what goes on, the stress levels that particularly Yelena Jankovic uh, is dealing with. But in terms of Simona Halep, I think you know that was the biggest tournament win of her life. And I think because she's in the top three in the world, there tends to be a, uh, an assumption that she's been at that sort of situation a lot. And she hasn't really. Although she's been in a Grand Slam final, she hasn't always dealt that well with some of these massive matches. And... I mean, she talked at the Australian Open of, of the stress. She actually used the word stress in her match against Ekaterina Makarova. So there's still some way for her to go. And I think to some degree, there's a little bit of the, the Milos Raonic in terms of her psychology about learning how to, how to do these things by doing them and failing and then learning and then succeeding. And I suspect she is going to be a Grand Slam champion over the next... 18 months a prediction from you're you're getting cocky with your predictions now David they're coming out of nowhere <laughs> yeah, but there you go before the end of 2016 Simona Hallett will be a Grand Slam champion I think I'm giving myself plenty of room there will it come on the clay I don't know I think she can win on anything she can win on anything 
I don't disagree with you. I don't, I'm glad you're the one that stuck your neck on the line, but uh, I don't disagree with you at all. Yelena Yankovic, what a comeback story. In terms of the uh, race, her results since the beginning of the year, she's outside of the top 100, um, and yet here she is, uh, finalist at Indian Wells. I, I couldn't... I didn't know what to make of her attitude in that match. I don't know if it was wonderfully refreshing. She, I mean, she was laughing off errors. You know, she was she she was laughing at, at various different points during that match. I don't know if that was wonderfully refreshing, or whether that showed a sort of slight lack of intensity in what was sort of one of the biggest matches of her career. Really, I think she was doing the former. She was laughing it off because otherwise she'd be crying or she'd be screaming. And I'd say it was fairly standard Yelena Yankovic fair, to be honest. She is somebody who goes through a lot on the court, lets everybody know about it, including her brother, who has to take a bit of a, a, bit of a, a, a lashing on the, on the side of the court uh, when she gets upset. But, you know, she just needs to vent and she needs to let out whatever she's feeling at somewhere or another. She, was the, she played the first tennis match I saw on tour of 2015, which and I commentated on it for BT Sport against Isla Tomljanovic, and it was seven six six love to Tomljanovic, and I watched that and just remember thinking just at the end of it, I wonder whether I wonder whether she's finished, I wonder whether she will actually retire soon, because how many times can you take a beating like that when you've been a former world number one and still keep coming back for more? And she she basically said as much in the post-match press conference. Um, and I thought it was a fantastic run for her in Indian Wells and hopefully the sort of run that makes her just think, well, this is all worth it, you know. Uh, yes, I might be rich beyond my wildest dreams and might not need it anymore, but the good moments are still worth all the bad moments uh, or the disappointing moments. So fair play to her. And possibly a similar philosophy uh, coming out of last week from uh, Sabine Lisicki as well, who had a fantastic... Uh, week, week and a half in Indian Wells because she's had an up and down time, hasn't she, since reaching that Wimbledon final? She has, and there's a great question put out on uh, on Twitter. I think it was Ben Rothenberg who said that in the press room they'd been talking about who would be the first one to win a Grand Slam tournament out of Sabina Lazicki, Agnieszka Radvanska, and Thomas Burdich. And I, I instantly said Lazicki because. Although she, her ranking is lower, she's hardly ever at the latter stages of these tournaments, but she is the one that out of nowhere could produce the two weeks of her life. And her two weeks of her life is better than the two weeks of their lives. You know, she can do more damage to everybody else in the women's game than Agnieszka Radvanska and Thomas Burdich could respectively do. I don't disagree with you there either, David. You're sticking your neck on the line, and uh, and I'm agreeing with you. This is all getting a bit boring. Quickly, uh, before we actually have to move on, because David's he's so important, he's got meetings to get to. Tamea Bashinsky, we've not mentioned her last week. We talked about Karolina Pliskova. There's an embarrassment of riches of rising stars on the WTA tour at the moment. And we have to mention Tamea Bashinsky, don't we? She's She won two tournaments back-to-back, Acapulco and Monterey. She deserves to be talked about, doesn't she? She certainly does. I mean, those results on their own uh, warrant uh, mentioning. And, and there really are something, those results she's had this year. Um, but also her backstory that we learnt about in Indian Wells, she did a, a live interview on 
BBC Radio 5 Live Sports Extra with Russell Fuller and just detailed the, the, the hell she'd been through with her father and the divorce of her parents and the pressure her father had put on her as she was making her way and how close she was to giving it all up just for an easier, different life. And, and it was really moving. We, we heard it just, just before we, we came on air with the, the tennis podcast. And, and I mean, I'd heard about it. I hadn't heard the interview live. I'd heard about it on the grapevine. And to actually hear what she says, and go on Five Lives' website to the In Short section if you want to hear it, three minutes long of audio. And it, and it is jaw-dropping stuff. And, and it brings back memories of, of all the stories I used to read about from... Mary Pierce's father, Jenna, you know, various other uh, tennis fathers over the years, uh, Yelena Dokic, and, and just makes you think, God, that's no way to have your upbringing as a child. But good for her. She's got out of there and is making a, her own way now. And, and what a good job she's doing of it. I'm really looking forward to seeing her play some more, actually. It's an undeniable feature of both men's and women's tennis, isn't it? Overbearing, well, parents in general, for better and for worse. You know, the drive of parents can can make a champion. Look at Richard Williams, you know. He could, he had the idea to to raise two tennis champions before the before Serena and Venus were even born. I mean, that's incredible, but absolutely for better and for worse. And there are countless stories over the year and it's it's wonderful to hear someone come out the other side of it and it's really worth a listen it's a tough listen but it really is worth a listen I think because it's a feature of tennis it is a feature of tennis and she addresses it very eloquently and uh, very admirably I think and the tricky thing is you don't want to say right well our parents should just not be involved in their kids careers and because most kids need their parents to be if not a driving force at least um, a willing accomplice in their career, and because I mean, you, you know, how much driving around from one end of the country to the other do they have to do usually in order to take their kids to tennis tournaments and to support them? And, and my goodness, we've heard stories of how they sell, they've sold their houses in order to fund their tennis, their kids' tennis dreams. And it's not all about them trying to live their own dreams through their kids. It's often more often the other way around so it's a really delicate balance because you wouldn't want to change the Serena Williams Venus Williams story uh, you, you wouldn't want to change countless others but there are some that are just too too much absolutely well said well I think that's just about all we've got time for on this week's tennis podcast no, just just quickly what's the, what's the latest uh, with, the, with the predictions because no longer are we just sort of uh, leaving our predictions and our thoughts about who might win this, that, or the other out there on the tennis podcast for you lot to keep count. We are keeping count now officially on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the tennis podcast, in which we have a running total on Catherine and my own predictions on who are going to win a tennis match every single day of the tennis year. And uh, so far, Catherine, after one week, of tallying this up, what is the score? It's, I, 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 I don't think it's about numbers. I don't think it's about the score. It's just you know, I, it's funny though. We were we were level pegging on the score, and then Dave, and then I get a, a message from David one morning saying, I think we should change the scoring system for this predictions <laughs> league. And since then, I've barely won a point, and David surged ahead. So I don't know if I've been had here, uh, <laughs> but okay, okay. David leads twelve. 
seven. Oh, 12-7, it's embarrassing, isn't it? Yeah, go to our Facebook page if you want to have a good laugh at my expense. But go quickly if you want to have that laugh because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be resurgent during Miami. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure, David, to join you once again in this Miami shopping centre with all the various uh, aud- audible accompaniments we've had. Didn't you just say Miami shopping centre? Did I say Miami shopping centre? <laughs> I imagine if we were. But- <laughs> Putney shopping centre. I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, we'll be back next week thank you very much for joining me david and uh, we'll see you again mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.